A reading from the book of 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Austin. All right, good morning. Uh, welcome, and if you are a guest here and I haven't yet met you, my name's Drew, pastor of discipleship. Very excited to walk through this passage you just heard read from Austin this morning as we actually wrap up our study in First John, this letter that John's been writing to the church, also to us, to encourage us, to challenge us, all of those good things. And I was looking through this passage, what I was thinking about, and kind of as this all comes to a head, the word assurance and the reality that we all want assurances. We want assurances in all different areas of our life. Uh, we even look for this in everyday products, in vehicles, etc. When you set an alarm last night on your phone or on a clock, you were assured that that was going to work. Now, you had to plug it in if it was a phone. But you were assured that it was going to work and it was going to wake you up this morning. Uh, when you went to push the button on a coffee maker without probably even thinking about it, this company has assured you that if you push this button and uh, you do what's necessary, that coffee is going to come out. And we do this without much thought. But when these things cease to deliver, whew, we turn into little kids, right? It's like, oh my goodness, this doesn't work anymore. What do I do? This, uh, this was actually something Laura and I experienced. I'll just say myself, I will take the weight of this. Um, in 2021, so in 2020, we had this house that we had purchased and we knew that the AC unit was old and we knew we were going to have to replace it eventually. And so during that summer of 2020, it goes out. So we have a company come out, they replace the AC unit, and they assure us that it's going to continue to work, like more than just one day, right? And so uh, they give us a warranty. We feel good about it. This shouldn't be something I need to check on regularly. I'm not going up to the attic. I know there's probably animals up there that I'm not aware of. And so this is going to work. Well, a year later, we hear our son Silas up in his room, and he seems to be having a blast. It's a lot of fun, and he shouldn't be. He should be asleep. And so uh, just to check on him, go in there. Over his crib is a massive bubble of water that uh, has uh, clearly water has come into the ceiling and it has formed this giant pool of water. And if that had exploded, I'm sure he would have loved it. Um, a free bath. But we were like, oh my goodness, what's happened? And essentially the drip tray um, went out on the AC unit. And all of a sudden it was like, what do we do now? Like, do we just abandon the home? Do we leave? Like... What happens? We turned into little kids. Like, do we need to go to the hotel? Can you even live without AC? Like, how does this work out? And so when these everyday things that we want to find assurance and when they let us down, we do. We experience anxiety. We experience frustration. 
Um, and so imagine the weight that comes when relationships let us down. When people that we thought we could be sure that they were going to love us, be there for us, protect us, all of these things, all of a sudden break down. And even more than that, and what we're getting to today, imagine when it gets even weightier than that, when it comes to our very being, our identity, our eternity. This can send us spinning. But luckily, God in his great love has a solution to this, and he really wants us to hear it. And he wants us to listen. And it's not a hypothetical It's not some fun tagline just to throw out there and catch it if you can. It's deep-rooted truth found in his love, and that's what we're going to look at. As we look at these final words, now let me just say this. I love final passages of books because they carry important words. Some of you have sent kids off to college for the first time this year. And as you thought about leaving them and letting them start on this new chapter, you probably thought about what am I going to say to them before I go? What do I want to leave them with? Even little ones, uh, when they leave to go to their first day of school in a new grade or for the very first time, what do I want to leave them with? How do I want to encourage them? What do I want to say as I give them that last hug as they head off to school? Loved ones and friends that you haven't seen in years that you spend time with and as they're getting ready to go and you give them that hug, what do they say to you and what do you say to them? Or maybe it's that relationship with a loved one as they're nearing the end of their life and they share these final words with you and you share these final words with them. That's what John's doing here. As he's been addressing all of us, the church, this entire time as dear little children. This comes from a father's heart. And so this is the wrap up. This is him bringing everything full circle. This is something that we should not only hear with our minds, but let sink into our heart, no matter where we are this morning. Because we are all walking in with different stuff. Some of us are tired. Some of us are confused. Some of us are frustrated. Some of us are coming in with doubts. We're doubting God. We're doubting others. Some of us are coming in a little bit broken. Some of us are coming in a little bit restless. We're all coming in with different things. We're all in different places this morning and we're all over the map. But luckily, God meets us all over the map with the same love, with the same heartbeat for you. And so know that this morning. Let me pray for this. We're gonna dive into this passage. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this passage. May you speak to us in this moment in different ways, but with the same intent. So Holy Spirit, would you move now? Jesus, thank you. Would you lead your church? Would we be changed, not by what I have to say, but what you have to say to us through your word that's living and active for our good, for your glory. Jesus, in your name, amen. All right, so we're gonna start in verse 13. Here's what John says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's been writing to the church this entire time. But let me just say, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're absolutely welcome here, 100%. And still hear this because he's inviting you into this. That you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing these things to assure you, the church, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John wraps up this letter by affirming the primary purpose he shared from the very beginning when we opened up this book. 
Now, there were some rest stops along the way, but essentially uh, the highway that we've been driving on is this, that his genuinely believing readers, the church, might have full assurance of what? Eternal life that they have and that they find in Jesus Christ. Now, this has been a letter of warning. It's been a letter of encouragement. It's been a, a letter of clarity. It's been a letter of hope. And it's all been wrapped up in fatherly love, as John says, dear little children, dear little children. Now, you'll notice it says that we may have assurance in eternal life. Life is an important word there. It doesn't just say eternal security, eternal promise, eternal life. And so John wants to assure us, yes, that we have salvation, so our eternity is secure, but life is much more than just that. What Jesus is offering, what God is offering is not just about like a get out of hell card, but it's everything that follows in life because life's complex. Relational assurance, provisional assurance in every aspect of every day of your life, what it means to rely on him and find your assurance there, not just when you get to the end and breathe the final breath, but when you breathe the very breath you're breathing now, assurance in all of it. And so have that in mind as we walk through this. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. I love this. What this means is that you can take confidence, no matter what age you are, no matter where you find yourself, no matter your background, no matter what you did last night, you can find confidence that in Christ, you are never alone and you never go unheard, right? There is an open invitation from the creator to the created you to have a conversation. Now, if I was the creator and you were the created, I don't know if I'd want to talk with you. Think about it. I'd be like, I created you. You stay over here. I'm going to do my thing over here. It'll be a very one-way conversation. But that's not God. Because he's created us to be in relationship, not only with one another as we live out in every day of our life, but with him. He wants to hear from you. He's not locking himself off from you. I mean, imagine it this way. Imagine if I went home today and my three-year-old son, Silas, I all of a sudden changed my demeanor and I said, hey, it's, it's okay for you to live in the house. And yes, you have my last name, but I'm gonna go upstairs. I'm gonna go in my room. I'm gonna put locks on it. You can live in this house and you can have the name but uh, don't come bother me. I'm going to be doing my own thing over here. You'd say, that'd be horrible. That sounds horrific. That's not loving at all. The great thing with God is that there are no locks on the door of God's heart. He invites you in. He welcomes you in. And here's the great news. Not just the best, but the worst. He invites you to bring it. The stuff that you haven't told anybody else about, he says, bring that to me. Also tell somebody else, but bring it to me. He says, you don't just have to bring the polished up version of you. You don't just have to bring the best. You don't just have to bring all this. He says, you can bring everything. I can handle it. Why? Because he's a father, because God invites you in, because he wants to hear from you. Also, your big brother, Jesus, wants to hear from you. The Holy Spirit wants to hear from you. And it says that anything we bring to him according to his will, he um, hears. So what is that? Well, anything that he agrees with and God's greatest will for you personally is this, 
It's to know that you're forgiven and loved and he wills to see all the broken parts of you healed and put back together. To be brought back to the place that you were intended to be before sin came running in. And out of that, to ultimately find assurance and rest, complete rest in him. And his greatest will for everyone else, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, your students that you go to school with, all of it is to experience the exact same thing. He's a welcoming God. It says, if anyone sees his brother, and so now we're getting kind of familiar in here, we're getting into a family language. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Now, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What John's doing is he's reaffirming here that we should not only bring our own personal requests to the Father, which we can, but we should also pray on behalf of others. This is the beauty of having community. This is the beauty of having church, brothers and sisters that will pray for you, that when things go sideways, which they inevitably will in your life in small and big ways, that they are there for you, pleading for you, praying for you. This is why you need community. This is why you're not meant to go it alone, right? And so we're not only intended just to be inward, but also outward. Now, there's a part of this verse here that gets really interesting. It talks about a sin that can't be forgiven. And as a child, this scared me to death. Like, I was... Um, horribly scared of this. I was like, oh my goodness, what if I commit that sin? Like, what if that happens? Let me go hide in a closet. I don't understand. What, what's going to happen here? Like, I'm so scared by it. Let me just relieve some pressure of that. I even had an adult during a study, probably about a year and a half ago, ask this question, like, what is this unforgivable sin? And I was like, well, you should know this. Let's talk through it. Here it is. Matthew 21 references this. It's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, the only unforgivable sin is completely rejecting God. Just saying, I don't want anything to do with you. That's it. Someone who doesn't want anything to do with Christ, that's the only unforgivable sin. Everything else, as a Christian, if you're in Christ, no matter what you do, no matter what you could do, I'm not saying you should go out and do crazy stuff just to test it, but everything, grace upon grace upon grace, because his cross is that good. You have that assurance. And he says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but the one who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that, if, that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is this idea of something called sanctification. It's a big word that essentially means to become more like Christ. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. If some of you notice that in your own life, yeah, because you wake up and you're grumpy, right? <laughs> And you're, and you're angry and you accidentally yell at somebody and you didn't mean to. And you're like, oh, again, man, right? You give in desires that you shouldn't give in to. You see things that you shouldn't see. You have thoughts that you, you know you shouldn't have. All of this, this takes time. This is a process. This is not something that's the flip of a switch and it happens overnight as God literally chisels away at the hard parts of our heart and he rebuilds them with himself, with a heart that aligns with his, and this can be a slow process, but if you press into him, 
You bring him those desires. You come to him. You say, hey, give me more of your heart. He's faithful to do this. He hears us. And so, yes, over time, as we draw closer to God and further away from ourselves and the flesh that fights, as the Bible says, we should see some of these battles against sin. We should see victory in those. It's not going to happen to perfection because I think I know the response when I ask you this. Are we going to keep sinning? Yes. We're not going to reach perfection in the here and now. And so although sin may cease as we draw closer to Christ and become more like him, all of it won't cease. And so I think John is also pointing at something deeper here, meaning even how we sin, that we no longer sin flippantly, that when we rebel, that when we give in to desires, that when we sin, there's a reality of it, that we fight against it that we follow it up with confession and repentance, that the Holy Spirit is doing something in our life that when we go against God, we realize it and we say, I hate that. I can't believe I did that. God, would you continue to build me and grow me and take that away? So John's getting at our heart here. I love what Jared C. Wilson, a, a fellow pastor says. He says, we are no more secure in Christ with a strong faith than with a small faith so long as that small faith is true faith. So maybe that's it today. Maybe it starts right there with that small faith. God, would you, would you meet me here in this place? I love what John 10, 27, so John in his other gospel says this, and it comes right off of what he says with this assurance in 18 of our standing before God. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. I love this, this assurance of protection. You're protected just like a parent protects a child. Just like an adult protects a child. You are fully protected even in your imperfection, even in your flaws, even in your rebellion and your waywardness. You are protected. You are absolutely secure in your standing and that's not changing. Even as you change, even his feelings come and go. All of this, Christ is unmoved. God is unmoved, held by love. And so as we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. We have eternal life. Christ is not made this truth about who he is and what he's done and what he offers something impossible to understand. And that's really good news for us. He's given us the ability to see and to understand and to find and embrace the assurance that your heart is truly longing for. Because we are all born longing for assurance. Every single one of us. And that really gets us or it brings us to the big idea of this passage is that in Christ alone, we are assured of our standing before God, of our place in his family and of our home for eternity. So if this is true, so let's get honest right here for a minute. If this is true and if this is something we can understand and it's good news, right? Everybody agree with that pretty much? Like, like five of you at least agree with that? Cool. Uh, 
this is good. In Christ alone, we have this. You're like, yeah, these are good things, like security in these areas and a home and a family. Like, that sounds awesome. So if this is all true, why isn't it easier to accept and live into? Why? Well, here's what John says in the very last verse, which I think is really interesting. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Then he closes the letter. You might think that's kind of odd. <laughs> like, John, I think you were probably supposed to stop with verse 20, right? Verse 20 was great. Like, was this supposed to be in the next letter you write? Because I know you write three. So, like, is this one supposed to start like letter two? No, 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 no. There's, there's, there's intent here. Here's why. Why does John end with this after assuring us of who Christ is and the hope that we have? It might seem kind of odd, but he ends with this because he knows that there are a million things, idols, that are going to try and keep you from resting in this assurance. As soon as you pick up your kids from kids ministry, there are going to be things popping into your head that try to keep you from this assurance. As you get in your car and you roll out of this parking lot, there are going to be things that pop into your head that try to keep you from this assurance. As you roll into Monday and you see things and you hear things and you read things, there are going to be all kinds of offers thrown at you of, hey, 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 here's where you can find assurance right here, right? If you have this, if you buy that, if you invest here, if you do this, like here's your assurance. Here's what's going to offer you comfort. Here's what's going to offer you protection. Here's what's going to offer you the thing that your heart really wants. And there are a million of those coming at us. And so John, as a loving father here, says, children, I, I, I can't stress this enough. Keep yourself from trusting in idols because it will pull you away from trusting in Christ over here. And it will have detrimental effects on your life, on how you live, what you live for, insecurities, anxiety, devastation. Trusting in Christ will either keep you from trusting in idols or idols will keep you from trusting in Christ. We've got these two things going on here. So what are idols? Probably a good question, right? Anything, even good things, when they become God things, are idols. When they take that place of worship and praise. Desires, even good desires, when they become demands, become idols. Your spouse can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. Friendship, that can be an idol. Your job, people's acceptance, people's approval, stature, cars, houses, bank account, all of it. Degree, college you go to, this or that, stature, esteem, all of it can become an idol. Essentially, that thing that if you lost it, you feel like your world would come crashing down, boom, you just identified it. There's the idol. And John's saying, keep yourself from these. What do all of these things have in common? That in these things, we are ultimately looking for the same thing that we ultimately find in a perfected way in Jesus. Acceptance, fulfillment, security, comfort, all of these things. And with every single idol, let me tell you this, there does come assurance that they will let you down because they were never intended to carry the weight of your soul. Your spouse was never intended to carry that weight. Your children were never intended to carry that. Your job, your bank account, none of it. It can't carry that weight. It will leave you wanting and desperate for more. So why go to these and not to him? Well, I think here's a piece of it. 
we've all been let down. Some of you have been let down all of your life. Some of you have been let down since birth. We've all been let down and it's hard to accept that God isn't going to do the same. We protect ourselves and we put up defenses. Well, I had a father who let me down. So why wouldn't this father do the same? I had a mother who wasn't kind to me. So why would this be any different? I've had family turn their back on me. So why would this family be safe and not do the exact same thing? I've had people make and break promises throughout my life. So why should I trust in this promise that God's making to me? Why would this be any different? And I totally get that. And better than that, God gets it. And going back to that previous section, he says, bring it to me. I'll, I'll take all of it. Your anger, your frustration, your doubts. I know you're scared to come in the room. I know you're scared. You're afraid that I have a lock on the door. I don't. Just open it up. Just come on in. See, because I think what happens sometimes is we take those experiences in our broken relationships where people let us down and we bring that over and we apply it to the relationship that God's offering us and things get messy and there are doubts mixed in and confusion mixed in, but what God wants is to provide you clarity. He actually wants to free you up. He wants to bring you out into the open. He wants to assure you of his love for you and how he's always felt about you even if you haven't felt it about yourselves or others haven't affirmed that. And so here's the good news. Want it? No one wants it. Okay, I, I, should, I should have made that more. I really need to stop doing that. Um, again, <laughs> takes, us, takes us off. Yeah, here's the good news, okay? And I love this. Jesus has never rejected anyone that's come to him. Jesus has never hurt anyone. Jesus has never used or abused a single person. Jesus has never said to any single person that's come to him, you're too broken. I don't have a place for you here. You can't be in this family. Jesus has never done that. He's never said that. He's never been mean to anyone. He's never been cruel to anyone. He's never, he's never turned his back on anyone. He's never left anyone out in the cold that would come to him. He's never done this. In fact, he did the opposite. He said, you've left me out in the cold. You've turned your back on me. You've rejected me, but I'll stay over here and I'll take the stripes and I'll take all the pain and I'll take all of it and I'll still have my door open for you and I'll still ask you to come in. Jesus has never rejected. He's never turned his back. He's never done any of the things that we just talked about and you will not be the first. That's the assurance of his love. And you find that where? In the greatest sign of his love. In the absolute finished work of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. He wants to give you this hope. And he wants it to overwhelm everything else that would tempt you to find assurance there. So you might say, prove it. <laughs> like, how do I know this? Okay. Well, here's just a few verses that John's been jotting throughout this letter. So here are these. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from, what does it say? Some unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from some sin? All sin. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. And now little children abide in him 
that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has shown us that we should be called sons of God. And if any man sins, so even when we mess up, even when we botch it, even when we blow it tomorrow morning, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The beauty of this letter and the gospel that John has been pointing to time and time again is that the weight of full assurance and confidence, what our hearts are ultimately searching for, every single human alive is searching for this, is it doesn't rely on us, but it fully relies on Jesus. And he's already done the work and his promises are good and he's not changing and he's not shifting. So let me just take this down to a parental level as we wrap up. I've never asked my son, Silas, to do anything to show or prove that he's worthy of my love. I love him because he's my son. I love him because he's mine. There are times that he pushes back. Some of you probably witnessed this. If you, if you want to witness this, give us about 20 more minutes and just hang out in here with me. <laughs> there are times he pushes back. There are times he screams. There are times he, he kicks that he doesn't agree with me, that he doesn't like what I have to say. He even runs from me, but my love for him is unmoved because he's my son and I love him unconditionally. And this is God's heart for you proven through Jesus. You may doubt it. You may push back against it, but in this way, you are not special. You will not be the first that God will not love. Have full assurance in that. So what do we do here? I think it's both inward and outward. Because as we've talked about this, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But what would it look like just to take a first step today? And I would say that first step, we could say confession. So to take that first step and to just come to God with those things that have popped up in our minds, from our hearts, as we've been talking, those idols that we know are, even though we don't want to admit it, even though we want to forget this, even though we hope that as we get in our car, we'll just kind of push this away. Hopefully God doesn't allow that to happen. What does it look like to confess, to be honest before God, to believe that, okay, you welcome me in, you want me to bring this to you, I'm going to bring it to you. This has become an idol. This has become a thing that's taken your place. I confess that. Would you replace this thing with your desires, with security in you, not in that? Whatever that may be, relationships, things, feelings, emotions, unmet expectations, good desires that have become demands. And I totally get that one. A long period of waiting. You're like, I don't know if I still want to trust you. <laughs> but he's good and he'll meet you there. He'll meet you in the pain. He'll meet you in the brokenness. He'll meet you in the joy. He'll meet you in all of it because that's what a good father does. That's what a good big brother does. That's what a good helper does. And so that inward piece, but also an outward piece. What I love about assurance is that assurance breeds confidence because we're no longer searching. Assurance breeds confidence. And so imagine a church that's fully assured and they're standing in place with Christ. Imagine what a church like that can do in a community of people still searching for assurance. Would we have an outward response that says, Jesus, you've given me ultimately everything I need. And I just wanna go share that with everybody else around me. I wanna share that love. I wanna share your goodness. Because assurance leads to confidence and confidence leads to mission. In Christ alone, we are assured of our standing before God. Hear this, church. In, let me just say it to you. In Christ alone, you are assured of your, understand, of your standing before God. 
you were assured as sons and daughters of your place in the family. And you were assured of your home now and for eternity. And so do not settle for less. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. May it be so. May it penetrate our heart in a way that allows us to find our rest in you. Jesus, if there's anyone that doesn't yet know you, may they realize today, even in this very moment, that you are there waiting for them, that you've done all the work, that you're not asking them to prove their love or prove their worthiness of love. But would they come with open hands to give you their worst, all of it, and receive your best life? To come to you and say, God, I've, I've been running. I've been doing my own thing. I want to find a home and I want to find it in you. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? Would you, would you lead me? Would you meet me here? And he promises that he will. Jesus, for your church, may we never settle for less. And at the times that we do, may we be quick to confess, quick to repent, forever holding on to the assurance that we found in you as you have first found us. In your name, Jesus, amen.